Thank you for listening to the Crossridge Podcast. Today's message is by Senior Pastor Mark Farnell. For more information about Crossridge Church, visit our social medias or go to our website at crclife.org. We hope you enjoy the message. All right, before you're seated, happy Resurrection Sunday. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is alive. He is risen. Say that with me. Jesus is alive. He is risen. Again, Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you. You may have a seat. Easter tells the greatest news ever heard. Easter tells the greatest story ever written. Easter reveals the greatest gift that has ever been given. Easter reveals the greatest love that has ever been seen. Easter reveals the greatest sacrifice that has ever been made. Easter reveals the greatest victory that has ever been won. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. He was tempted as we are, yet he never sinned. Jesus died a perfect death on the cross of Calvary. Jesus was buried in the tomb And on the third day, Jesus rose again by the power of God, and he walked out of that tomb alive, victorious over sin, Satan, and death for us. Jesus is alive. He is risen. We believe in the resurrection of Jesus because it's true. We rejoice in the resurrection of Jesus because it's true. We tell others about the resurrection of Jesus because it's true. Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus. Late pastor and author Alexander McLaren said, The cross is the center of the world's history. The incarnation of Christ and the crucifixion of our Lord are the pivot round which all the events of the ages revolve. William Lane Craig, noted author and apologist, wrote, Without the belief of the resurrection, the Christian faith could not have come into being. The Apostle Paul wrote years ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verses 12 through 14, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. If the resurrection of Jesus Christ isn't true, then our faith is useless. We are still in our sins, and we have no way to get to God. We are literally without help and hope, without God in this world. Praise God we know Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Open your Bibles with me this morning to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. I want us to take a few moments together uh, that we have this morning, and I want us to take another look at this incredible, amazing, fantastic story, this account from Luke about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The story of the resurrection of Jesus never gets old. The story of the resurrection of Jesus gets better every time we read it. Luke wrote, beginning in chapter 24, verse 1, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb bringing the spices they had prepared. They are the ladies. They got up early that Sunday morning, and they headed to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. 
They went in but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, this means they were confused. They were uh, out of their minds, so to speak. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. They were confused. Suddenly, two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. We know Luke later in this chapter, John confirms that these two men were actually angels. And so the ladies were filled with awe, with reverence, with wonder at the presence of the angels. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Asked the men. He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was with you in Galilee saying it is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. The ladies remembered the words of Jesus that he had spoken before his crucifixion. Returning from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. The eleven were the disciples, minus Judas. The rest included all of the followers of Jesus at this point in time, which scripture tells us numbered around 120. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them were telling the apostles these things. But these words seem like nonsense. Say that with me. Nonsense. They seem like nonsense to them, and they did not believe the women. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Yes, he did. When he stooped to look in, he saw only the linen cloths. So he went away amazed at what had happened. Notice, the disciples didn't believe the women when they told them that the tomb was empty. They thought it was nonsense. They thought the ladies were confused. They thought they were overwhelmed with grief and they were seeing things. This couldn't be the case. It was silly talk. It was nonsense. Peter... Luke tells us, got up, and he was curious enough, he took off, and he started running to the tomb. John, in his gospel, told us he also took off. Fun fact, John outran Peter, got to the tomb before Peter. But John, as he got to the tomb, he stopped, and he began to stoop to look in. Peter got to the tomb behind John, but Peter, like Peter would do, barreled right on into the, into the tomb. And as they both went into that tomb, and they started to look and literally stooping to fit in there, they realized what the ladies had said was true. The tomb was empty. Jesus wasn't there. And they went away, Scripture tells us, amazed. And I would dare say, we would probably walk away amazed as well. I'm still amazed today at this amazing news of the resurrection of Jesus. Since Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection of Jesus, how do we know that the resurrection is true? How do we know today that the resurrection of Jesus isn't nonsense, silly talk. How do we know the resurrection of Jesus wasn't some fabrication made up by a fanatical band of believers and followers to make a really, really cool story out of a really, really bad scene? How can we today help others 
believe in the resurrection of Jesus? These are great questions. I'm glad you asked because we're going to answer some of these questions this morning. Luke actually gives us an answer to these questions in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, if you want to turn to your right real quick, you can make your way there. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Luke shared these words and gave us an answer to these questions. Luke wrote in Acts 1, Luke the author of his gospel and the book of Acts, I wrote the first narrative, that being his gospel, Luke, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after he had suffered, and he was crucified, after he suffered, after he rose again, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs. Say that with me out loud. Many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. We can rejoice this morning because we have many convincing proofs that give us the evidence that we need and the answers we need to believe in the truth of the resurrection and to be able to help others believe in the truth of the resurrection. So I want us to take just a few moments and look at some of these proofs this morning. Some of these convincing proofs that God has provided for us here in his word. We are a part of this story as well as we make our way through these proofs, and you'll see what I mean as we make our way through in our time together. So the first proof I want us to look at is the Old Testament predicted the resurrection. The Old Testament predicted the resurrection. The Old Testament prophets spoke about, they wrote about, they predicted, they prophesied about the resurrection of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before it actually happened. One example, Isaiah the prophet wrote in Isaiah chapter 53 in verses uh, six, in verses five and six, but he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, punishment for our peace was on him, and we are all healed by his wounds. We have all gone astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished him for the iniquity of us all. We see and we know that Isaiah the prophet spoke, he prophesied here, he predicted the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The Old Testament scriptures pointed to, they predicted, they prophesied about this Messiah, this Savior who would come and rescue his people from their sins. The Apostle Paul told us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is known as the resurrection chapter in scripture. We all for the most part, know what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is. That's referred to as the love chapter in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15 is referred to as the resurrection chapter. And in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 3, Paul said, Jesus died for sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul referred to the Scriptures, quote-unquote, which is the Old Testament. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, in his preaching and teaching, he often would refer to the Old Testament scriptures. He would often refer to the prophets and their predictions, their prophecy of the Messiah who was to come as he declared throughout his earthly ministry, I am the Messiah. I am the fulfillment 
of Old Testament prophecy. And so we see clearly the Old Testament predicted the resurrection of Jesus. The New Testament announced the resurrection of Jesus. We can confidently believe in the resurrection of Jesus, and we can confidently tell others about the resurrection of Jesus. A second proof is Jesus said he would rise again. And this is a great proof. This is verifiable, as are all of these proofs. This is a great proof. Jesus, on three separate occasions, Luke recorded in his gospel, on three separate occasions, Jesus was talking with his disciples, and he literally told them about his death, burial, and resurrection, which was to come. He told them exactly what was going to happen. And we pick up in Luke chapter 18 on this third occasion. The third occasion, Jesus is speaking with his disciples. And he said, beginning in verse 31, Then Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Everything that is written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Stop right there. Jesus just affirmed proof number one. You see that, right? He just referred to the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, right here as he's sharing with us another proof. And he continued, For he, the Son of Man, will be handed over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked, insulted, spit on. And after they flog him, they will kill him, and he will rise on the third day. Jesus was clear about his mission from beginning to end of his earthly ministry. Jesus told his disciples... Then, notice the 12, including Judas at this point, and Jesus, through this explanation of his disciples years ago, tells us today that he would rise again, and he did. He rose again. The third proof of these many convincing proofs that we see is the empty tomb. The empty tomb is one of the most powerful proofs to the resurrection of Jesus. The ladies went early that Sunday morning to the tomb and they literally saw that it was empty. Peter and John raced to the tomb and stepping inside, they saw that it was empty. The Roman soldiers who were stationed to guard the tomb saw that the tomb was empty. The angels of the Lord confirmed that the tomb was was empty. We see in chapter 24 of Luke in verse 6, we see that angel said in verse 6, he is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. They reminded these ladies of what Jesus had said, and we just read what he said. He said he would rise again. And so we see the tomb, the empty tomb, is an amazing, convincing proof of the resurrection of Jesus. It was so obvious, it was so convincing that the Jewish religious leaders, the opponents of Jesus, those who wanted Jesus crucified in the first place, they had to come up with a lie. They had to come up with an explanation. They had to come up with a scheme, a story that they could share and that they could spread to try to keep people from believing in the risen Savior, King Jesus, because they understood and realized the empty tomb was kind of hard to look past. 
kind of challenging to their case. And so Matthew recorded this conversation, this amazing conversation. In Matthew chapter 28, turn to your left a couple of books and you'll find Matthew 28. It's an amazing conversation that's going on. And we'll pick up as Matthew records this conversation in verse 11. And we are seeing the beginning, the formulation of this plan to somehow try to detract from the empty tomb. Verse 11, Matthew said, as they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened, meaning the resurrection, the stone rolled away. After the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, say this, here it is, here's the plan. His disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. That was their plan. The disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. All the Jewish religious leaders had to do, all the Pharisees, Sadducees, all the Sanhedrin, all the teachers of the law, all the opponents of Jesus had to do was one thing. Produce the dead body of Jesus. And Christianity crumbles. Never gets off the ground. We're not here today. One thing. One thing. Just produce the dead body of Jesus. They didn't because they couldn't because Jesus is alive. He is risen. And so we begin to look and we begin to formulate in our minds our thoughts around this account, the resurrection of Jesus. And we begin to see these convincing proofs start adding on to one another. A fourth proof was the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. There were over 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. 500, say that with me, 500, over 500 eyewitnesses. Paul told us about this scene in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 3. Paul said, for what I passed on to you is most important, uh, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the 12, then he appeared to the over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive. That's a key point. Many of these eyewitnesses were still alive when Paul wrote these words. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep, some have passed. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one at the wrong time, he also appeared to me. Jesus appeared to these over 500 eyewitnesses over the period of 40 days. He ate with them. He talked to them. He showed them his nail-scarred hands. He showed them his nail-scarred feet. He showed them and pointed out his side where it was pierced by the spear. It would have been next to impossible for all of these eyewitnesses from all kinds of different backgrounds to have all been misled and confused and in on some scheme to deceive people. As one psychologist said, over 500 people having the same hallucination will be a greater miracle than the resurrection itself. 
So we know, we know Jesus appeared to these over 500 eyewitnesses after his resurrection. Jesus appeared to Peter to let him know his failure wasn't final. Jesus specifically appeared to Peter to let Peter know, hey, Peter, your denials of me aren't the end of your ministry for me. Peter, I've got plans. I still have plans for you. Jesus appeared to his followers to let them know he was alive. Jesus appeared to his followers to let us know he is alive. Jesus is alive. He is risen. There's an agnostic professor who was talking to a a young girl one day and and they were having a conversation because the girl said that she believed in Jesus. And so uh, the professor said to her, said, you know, throughout history, there have been many people who have claimed that they were God. Said, how can you be sure who told the truth? And a little girl smiled and said, I believe in the one who rose from the dead. And what a great answer to that question. Jesus rose from the dead and then he appeared. He showed himself to over 500 people to prove another convincing proof that he is alive. He is risen. A fifth proof is a teaching of the resurrection. As we continue to look in the scriptures and we move into the book of Acts and you look at the beginnings of the New Testament church and then you trace the church throughout Acts and throughout the rest of the New Testament, we find this key point. The resurrection of Jesus was the main point of the preaching and teaching in the church in Jerusalem and in the churches that were birthed out of the church in Jerusalem. The teaching of the resurrection built up the believers in the church. The teaching of the resurrection brought new believers into the church. The teaching of the resurrection bothered, annoyed, irritated the opponents of Jesus, the religious leaders of the day. And Luke told us about this in Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, We read in verses 1 and 2, Luke wrote, While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees confronted them, the disciples, that's the them, the disciples, because they were annoyed. The priests, the captain of the temple police, and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, they were annoyed that they were what? Teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. The topic and the point and the application of their preaching and teaching was all about the resurrection of Jesus. The application was we are to live our lives to the one who gave his life for us because he is alive. The disciples wouldn't stop preaching and teaching about the resurrection of Jesus. They wouldn't stop preaching and teaching Jesus is alive. They were preaching and teaching Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and exalted. They were mocked. They were ridiculed. They were persecuted. They were beaten. They were flogged. Because they would not stop preaching and teaching Jesus is alive. 
And the resurrection of Jesus is central to our preaching and teaching today. We must continue to preach, teach, and to share with others the good news that Jesus is alive, that he is risen. It's like the words of the old hymn, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. Life is worth the living just because he lives. And so we see the teaching over and over and over. They understood the Old Testament scriptures. The Holy Spirit had dwelt among the believers at this point in time in the book of Acts. And we know that Jesus had ascended to the right hand of the throne of God. And they understood and realized that Jesus had talked to them about how he would rise again. They, it started to all make sense to them. They knew about the empty tomb. They had seen the empty tomb. They knew about the post-resurrection appearances. They were even talking to some of these people. They were interviewing some of these people. Paul knew some of these people who were literally alive when Jesus came to them, they were part of the 500. And so we see, because of this, because of these proofs, obviously then, they understood, they realized the resurrection of Jesus is what is most significant. Since he lives, we can live. Since he lives, we can know God. And so they were preaching and teaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ, letting everyone know Jesus is alive, which means he was who he says he was, and he did what he said he was going to do. And so that mantle has been passed on now to us as well, to have the opportunity, the privilege to tell others the good news that Jesus is alive. Another proof and I think this is a significant proof as well. Another of these convincing proofs is the change in the disciples. You know this as well as I do. The disciples who denied Jesus, deserted Jesus, and ran away from Jesus when he was arrested, beaten, and crucified were just days later preaching and teaching Jesus no matter the cost. The disciples were changed from cowards to conquerors. They were changed from wimps to warriors. All because of one reason and one reason alone. Jesus is alive. They knew the truth. And they understood nothing else mattered from that point forward than getting out the good news that Jesus is alive. In Acts, in Peter's first sermon in the church in Jerusalem, his very first sermon in the church in Jerusalem, this will show again the teaching of the resurrection. We see in Acts chapter 2 and verse 32, Luke records Peter's words, and this was the main point of Peter's sermon. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. No questions, no doubts, no fears. Jesus is alive. And Peter said, we're all witnesses of this. Jesus is alive. The disciples boldly told others the good news, Jesus is alive. The disciples courageously gave their lives for Jesus. As we read, the disciples became martyrs for Christ, for their faith and trust in Christ, for their preaching and teaching 
the resurrection of Jesus. And so we know the change in the disciples is a powerful, convincing proof to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Another proof is changed lives today. God is still in the life-changing business today. Amen? He is changing our lives. He's changing the lives of those around us by his grace through our faith in Christ Jesus. And we need to be reminded once again that the difference Jesus makes in us is meant to be seen through us. The difference Jesus makes in you and me is meant to be seen through our lives. The chains that Jesus is making in our daily lives is one of the best and most convincing proofs of all. You're in the story. I'm in the story. As disciples of Jesus, we're witnesses for Jesus. When we bless as Jesus blessed, when we care as Jesus cared, when we endure as Jesus endured, when we forgive as Jesus forgave, when we help as Jesus helped, when we live as Jesus lived, when we love as Jesus loved, when we serve as Jesus served, we show evidence that Jesus is alive and we show evidence that Jesus is in charge of us. The fact that you can look at your own personal life and see a difference from the past to today in the present spiritually and hopefully each one of us as followers of Jesus Christ can say, yes, I can see a difference a month ago. I can see a difference six months ago. I can see a difference a year ago. I can see a difference a week ago. I can see a difference a couple of days ago from where I was in my walk with Christ to where I am now. That change that is happening as we become more and more like Christ Jesus, that is a most convincing proof that Jesus is alive. You are evidence. I am evidence that the resurrection of Jesus is true. Our lives are to tell the story that Jesus is alive. He is risen. Six-year-old Sarah was talking with her friend one day on the front porch of their home and her parents were uh, listening to their conversation from the open window in the front of the house and little Sarah was talking to her friend about Jesus and she, she was talking to her and she said, yeah, she said, if, if you believe in Jesus and you ask him into your heart, he will forgive your sins and you'll get to go to heaven. And so the little girl said, I, I would like to do that. And so they prayed. And after the little girl prayed, she looked at Sarah and she said, Sarah, she said, will my mommy be in heaven with me too one day? And Sarah said, yeah, she'll be in heaven if she believes in Jesus. But if you don't want her there, don't tell her about Jesus. <laughs> we want to tell everybody about Jesus. Jesus overcame so we can overcome. Jesus gave his life for us so that we could have life and so that we could live our lives worthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross. Why is the resurrection of Jesus so important? Last question. 
Why is the resurrection of Jesus so important? The answer is without the resurrection of Jesus, we have no way to get to God. The only requirement to have a relationship with God is be perfect. God is perfect, and so if we wanna know God, it's simple, we have to be perfect. Well, we've all failed to meet that requirement. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. We've all said, thought, and done things that are unpleasing to God, that are against God and the truth of his word. We have all turned away from God and sinned against God. We have all gone our own way. There's none of us righteous, no, not one. And the Bible tells us that we need a savior. We need someone who can help us. We need someone who can rescue us. We need someone who can deliver us. We need someone who can save us. We need someone who can take away our sin and bring us to God. Because what we understand and know to be the truth is our sin against God separates us from God. And there is nothing that any of us can do to get rid of our sin and get to God on our own. We can't buy our salvation. We don't deserve our salvation. And we certainly can't earn our salvation through good works because good is not the standard. Perfect is. Good falls short. So the truth is we're in bad shape. We need help. Quite honestly, what we need is a savior. The Bible tells us that Jesus is our savior. Jesus came to this earth to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus met God's requirement for a perfect and holy sacrifice to be made so that we who are imperfect and unholy could be made right with a perfect and holy God. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was tempted as we are, yet he never sinned. He died a perfect death on the cross of Calvary, thereby defeating sin. He never sinned. He died on the cross of Calvary. He was buried in the tomb. He defeated death as he rose again victorious on the third day. He defeated sin with his perfect death. He defeated death with his resurrection. That's why the news that Jesus is alive is so important. As Paul David Tripp, pastor and author said, Jesus experienced the unthinkable so that we could experience the unreachable. Now that's amazing grace. Jesus, the risen Savior, Jesus, the Son of God, King Jesus, is the only one who can rescue us, the only one who can save us, the only one who can forgive us, the only one who can bring us to God. And so we must believe in and receive Jesus by faith. We enter into a relationship with God. We receive forgiveness of sins and are welcomed by God into his family, by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. We trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection that opens the doorway for us to enter into a relationship with God. John said, yet to all who received him, he gave them the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, Paul said that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. For it's with our mouth that we believe and are justified. It's with our hearts that we confess and are saved. Luke said salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved under the name of Jesus. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 
No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way for us to enter into a relationship with God is by God's grace through our faith in the Son of God, the risen Savior, King Jesus. There are those today that get offended when I or others say there's only one way to God, and that is by faith and trust in the Son of God, Jesus Christ. They get offended because they believe there should be many ways, and everybody gets to get to God based on however they want to get to God. The truth of the Word says there's only one way. Quite honestly, my response is I'm blown away that there is a way. I praise God there's one way because I've done nothing to deserve it or earn it. And apart from that one way, I never get to God. And if there were multiple ways to get to God, other than through faith in the Son of God. If there were other ways that others can get to God other than through faith and trust in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross of Calvary, then we know without question God is not who He says He is. He is not loving because the cross of Christ, if there are multiple ways to get to God, the cross of Christ becomes the most cruel joke ever played on anyone. No, the truth is there's only one way. And it cost Jesus everything. And he did it in obedience to his Father's plan out of his love for you and me. The evidence is in. The case has been made. And the verdict has been read. Jesus is alive. He is risen. And because he lives, we can have new life, abundant life, and eternal life with God by God's grace through our faith in Jesus. Let me ask you to bow in prayer. Our worship team is going to come and lead in a time of response. I want to encourage you, my brothers, my sisters in Christ, to spend these moments. Our pastors, our ministers will be seen here at the front if you want to pray with them. If you have a care, a need, a concern, you can go to them, and they would love to pray with you and bless you encourage you. The altar is open as it always is. My brothers and sisters, I would encourage you just to spend these moments rejoicing in Jesus, rejoicing in the reality that King Jesus is alive. I encourage you to run to Jesus, to rely on Jesus, to renew your commitment, to live for Jesus, the one who gave himself for you. I encourage you to begin to pray about those that God may want you to tell about Jesus. We've got a great opportunity to share the good news that Jesus is alive. For those who have yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ, if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord. And why not today? Why not right here? Why not right now? The good news of the gospel has been presented. Jesus Christ took your place on the cross. He paid your price for sin just as he paid mine. That price was his life, his blood that he shed for us to provide us with forgiveness of sins. Praise God, he didn't stay in the tomb. He rose again, thereby defeating sin and death for us. He's alive and he wants a relationship with you. 
And you can enter a relationship with God by responding to God's grace at work in your life right now. By crying out to God. Confessing your sins to God and receiving his gift of salvation by placing your faith in Jesus. You can do so this morning by saying a a simple prayer such as this, right there in your own heart and your own mind. Dear God, I know that I am a sinner. God, I know my sin separates me from you. And God, I, I need a Savior. God, I no longer want to try to live my way. I'm ready now to live your way. God, I believe Jesus is my Savior. I believe Jesus died on the cross in my place. I believe he shed his blood for my sin. I believe he was buried in the tomb, and I believe on the third day he rose again. I believe Jesus is alive, and I know that I know that faith in Jesus is the only way for me to enter a relationship with you. And so right now, God, as best as I know how, I turn away and repent from living my way. I confess my sins to you, God. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, and God, I receive Jesus Christ into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. God, thank you for sending Jesus for me. God, thank you for saving me. God, thank you for answering my prayer. If you prayed a prayer similar to this, here in the room or even online, watching from afar, based on the authority of God's word, you are part of the family of God. And I want to encourage you to rejoice. I want to encourage you to tell folks about your decision to receive God's gift of salvation by placing your faith in Christ. In just a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. And I would encourage you, if you prayed that prayer, to come and tell one of us standing here. We would love to encourage you. We would love to pray with you. We would love to rejoice with you. You are new in Christ. You're our brother and sister. You're part of the family of God. And we want to encourage you as you begin your new life in Christ. This is God's time for us to respond in obedience to him. Let's stand and let's worship him together.